This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host, researcher and entrepreneur, Ollie Tikkanen. Welcome, everyone. Before introducing guest of today's episode, I would like to know just few things. Physical Activity Researcher podcast is committed to promoting equality and diversity in all its activities, including selection of guests. We have limited resources to scout all great researchers from different groups of people, so if you know someone who should be as a guest in the podcast, please ask this individual to contact us directly. As another thing, I would like to ask for your help. Being able to deliver this podcast to you, my audience, is based on how many people find, start to listen and follow this podcast. So I would really appreciate little help promoting this podcast. You can do this by subscribing, following the podcast on Twitter, retweeting tweets sometimes and maybe even giving a good rating if you liked an episode. And now it is time for the actual show. I'm excited about the guests of today's episode. Yes, you heard right. This episode will have two guests. They both have a PhD from University of Queensland and they are working at Cancer Prevention Research Center in the School of Public Health at the University of Queensland. One of them holds also an honorary research fellow at Baker Heart and Diabetes Institute and Curtin University. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our guests, Drs. Genevieve Healy and Anna Goody. Welcome, Genevieve and Anna. Thank you for having us, Oli. Yeah, great. So I assume you are working from home. How, how is it going? Yes, we're both working from home. Uh, for both of us, this is not that unusual a circumstance, but I normally work from home two days a week out of five, and I'm in the office three days a week. But obviously, with COVID-19 happening, it's now five days a week at home. And I also have two children at home. So we currently, we've just started homeschooling. So it's actually been quite the juggle. And working from home for me used to be my thinking time and my time to write my research papers and to really dive into my research. And I've certainly lost that opportunity with everyone home around me. And how's mm, it been for um, you? My, I'm, I'm business as usual. And Ollie, I'm similar to you in that I do live in very um, back onto a forest, the rainforest. So it's, it is a nice place to be. And so where I'm based is it's quite a long commute to get into the office. So I normally work from home. Um, so for me, it's business as usual. I, I do have a little toddler running around the background, but that's, that, I've gotten used to that as well. Yeah. So you're both doing research on sedentary behavior and physical activity. How, how has your own activity been in, in, the, in distance work? Well, well, for me, I had the added bonus of tearing my ACL in the only hockey game that we got to play for the season. This was field hockey. Um, oh. So we got to play a game and I tore my ACL just after half time. And I was very fortunate that I got to have surgery done a week later, which was a couple of days before elective surgeries actually stopped in Australia. So my recovery has been very different than I would have liked to have had um, at this time because what's been really wonderful to see is the number of families that have been exercising around our neighbourhoods. In Queensland, Australia, where we're from, one of the few things that you are allowed to do is exercise and everybody's been taking that opportunity to be getting out um, to do their exercise and it's, it's, I would say, substantially increased in my community the amount of activity people have been doing. Myself, I've mainly just been doing my rehab exercises, which isn't as exciting, however. Yeah, I can fully understand that. Usually rehab is not, not the most fun part of, of exercising. So how has it been for you, Anna? 
similar, the nice thing that I've been seeing with my neighbours, um, <laughs> they've been taking extra breaks. So I've seen them actually, I can see them through the window when they get a glass of water, they come down the stairs and go out to their mailbox and go back in. And I've seen some of them going out to the end of the street, going to the stop sign and back when they take a little break. Um, and it's nice to see. And that's, I think, probably because of I hope I think it is because of you know the work that we're doing around the upstanding and you know making sure that you break up sitting time so I can see our little cul-de-sac at least has got that message so that's nice yeah so you both working in the up upstanding project could you tell more about your project and how is it how is it going now in this special situation yeah I'll give a little bit of a background to be upstanding to help uh, your listeners understand the context a bit more. So pretty much all of my research career, so my PhD research onto my postdoc and then um, onwards has been a look at it, how do we support adults to sit less and to move more? And that started by looking at the epidemiology of it. So what's the health risks of sitting too much and then the health benefits of getting up more regularly. And that moved on to intervention studies And one of the key settings that we looked at was the workplace. And this was, and in particular, the office workplace, because there's lots of workers, office workers, and it's a setting where we've seen workers sit for about 75% of their workday. So we did several intervention studies under the broader banner of Stand Up Australia, showing that it's feasible and acceptable for office workers to be able to stand up, sit less and move more and both the workers like it and the employers like it as well. And it got to the stage that our results were so successful and we're publishing these papers that our industry and our policy and practice partners came to us and said, how can we use this information? How can we use this research to help support our workplaces, the workplaces that we have jurisdiction over? And this is where Anna came on board. So Anna, she can provide a little bit more information about her background, but it's in implementation science, which I didn't know anything about. So how do we actually translate research into practice? So Anna came on board and we translated that Stand Up Australia intervention into a program called Be Upstanding. And we that went live as an online program in September 2017. And then we've continually modified it and optimized it. And it's now uh, we're running a national implementation trial on it, but it's a free online program that anyone can access, but it's targeted for workplace champions to help support their team to stand up, sit less and move more. So if your listeners do want to have a look at it, it's at www.beupstanding.com.au. But the really nice thing about that is that Well, A, that it's free, but B, that we're getting that real practice-based evidence. So workplaces are helping us understand what they're doing to sit less and move more and what they're doing in this really unusual times that we're going through as our work situations really turn themselves on their head, that everyone now shifts to a more flexible or remote working environment or a large portion of the working segment do. So I might um, pass it over to Anna to just flesh that out a little bit more as appropriate or Anna, over to you. Yeah, I think we've seen, and as Jenna was saying, I mean, everything has been turned on its head. Certainly in Australia, we're seeing things, you know, that initial shock, I suppose, is wearing off and people are trying to come, you know, find a new norm. And initially with our Be Upstanding project, there were a lot of workplaces on board currently doing the program in their work teams. They went on pause because of the uncertainty surrounding everything that was going on. But we actually have had quite a number of new champions. So the program really relies on having a workplace champion run the program in their work team. And so we've had quite a few champions interested in the program because they just want something, I think, positive for their team to focus on. So it's that trying to build a team culture and having something to focus on that they can do together and it's a reason for them to kind of, you know, have a friendly competition or um, have check-ins with each other. So we have seen that, which has been really nice. And so that's part of, I think, what Jen was alluding to earlier as well, that we are making some changes to our toolkit and to the program based on this whole scenario as well. 
Yes, and and could you tell more about the actual intervention? What kind of actions you are taking to encourage the people uh, to sit less and move more? It's there's three main. I mean, it's it's about raising awareness. The first thing is really about raising awareness about the benefits of sitting less in the work team, and also building a supportive culture so that it really becomes the new norm I suppose to sit less and move more so it just becomes business as usual and then therefore about creating the behavior change it's really designed for a champion to run the program in their work team as I said and it's the strength we think or that we found from Be Upstanding is that it's very much a personalized tailored approach so it's not about us as experts coming in and saying that the work team should do x y and z it's really about encouraging champions to get their team together to choose strategies that best suit them and their unique environment and that's why actually be upstanding has worked or is continuing to work in this environment because it's always been meant to be suited to whatever unique circumstances a work team may be under So one of the core um, components of the program is for staff to choose three top strategies to sit less and move more after they've had sort of an educational campaign and they're aware of the dangers of too much sitting and that they should be targeting particularly prolonged unbroken bouts of sitting and um, some of those main educational messages and then they come together to do the sort of the cultural change. I'll just add to that and um, expand that once they've chosen their strategies, the program and the toolkit that the champions provided with then um, provides the champion with eight weeks of supportive material to help continue to promote those strategies and the messages around sitting less and move more. So what staff see is an eight-week program. Um, the champion gets a lot of training um, around that as well. So for the champion, it goes on for a bit longer than that because they have to set up the program, get support from management, um, conduct some assessments and evaluations both before and at the end of, of the eight-week program to understand the impact of the program. For staff, they see an eight-week program, but the idea is to start the change and then continue to build on those changes so that you can run Be Upstanding again the following year, but to build on the changes that you've already achieved. Mm. This podcast is sponsored by Fibian, a research device that has been shown to be valid in tracking sitting, standing, physical activity and energy expenditure. Furthermore, Fibian has been shown to be valid categorizing physical activity into light, moderate, and vigorous intensity. In addition to scientific accuracy, Fibian provides automatically produced and easy-to-understand reports for research participants. Get scientific validation and learn more about Fibian at fibian.com research. And and how do you educate the champions? What kind of material you have and what kind of things you are stressing in, in this process? We have a variety of different multimedia. I, I want to be able to show you the toolkit because that's the easiest way. <laughs> um, but there's the plan phase. There's a plan, do and evaluate phase. And the plan phase is all about teaching the champion how to get management buy-in. And there's various resources that they can download from a dear boss letter to policy templates and um, how to go through then to do a needs assessment So there's all sorts of surveys and workplace audits and information around that that they can do. Really snazzy surveys in terms of being able to provide real-time data back to the champion. And then there's tools including videos as well as downloadable tip sheets around forming wellbeing committees or support crew, if you will, for the champion to support them to support staff. Um, So a real, a real variety of, um, and all based, as um, Genevieve had said, on all of that work that had happened um, previously with the Stand Up Australia program of work. So all evidence-based or evidence-informed um, resources. Mm. So did I understood correct that first the workplace will choose or pick up the champion, then you will go, the champion will go to education phase And then there will be a planning phase and then eight weeks intervention and then you have the evaluation phase. 
Yes, essentially that would be right. And so the education phase, it is obviously to educate the champion, but also there's, I suppose, an education component for staff as well to bring them all on board in terms of, you know, the benefits of sitting less and moving more. Yes, so we provide uh, in the toolkit, there's posters for the champion to put up and distribute. There's emails for them to distribute and, um, and the email templates for them to use to send to their staff. And it's based on there's key themes of did you know, which is about raising awareness and take action um, or like change the, about changing the norms as well. So there's various themes really centred around what Anna was flagging before about changing that cultural norm mm. so that a dynamic workplace is the norm. Yeah. So then you said that they, they will pick up three top strategies that they will work with. What kind of selection you have and what do workplaces usually pick? So we they can choose what they like, but we do provide them with some a just a quite a broad range of suggested strategies. And we do recommend that they try and choose ones higher on the hierarchy of control. So looking at ones that are more likely to live to last for longer, if possible, in but also in recognition that it's good to have strategies that they can start straight away. So really common strategies that people have is, are things like insert, inserting standing breaks into meeting agendas. So for our podcast right here now, we can say, okay, we're 16 minutes in. At 20 minutes, we're going to schedule that we make sure that we have a standing um, stand and stretch break. And other things that people do very frequently, um, uh, just the classic take, making sure people take the stairs and making staircases available for usage so they're not locked off. So just quite simple and low-cost, no-cost strategies but we've seen a huge range of strategies because it, it really is bespoke to the workplace. We don't know what the workplace is like, and so um, it's up to them to choose what strategies are going to best work for them. And they do tend to choose fun strategies as well. So we do have those core ones that we see that we tend that tend to come out, but then staff do tend to have a bit of fun, and there's one that, I quite liked recently there was a team that was going through obviously quite a hard time in the business in terms of having to meet KPIs um, and so anytime someone in the staff and the team said KPI they all had to stand up and that kind of gave them a giggle um, so there's those sorts of things as well or they during around Christmas time they had a Mexican wave where the boss would put on a Christmas hat and stand up and then the rest of the team would see him stand up and that would sort of lead to a Mexican wave around the office. And, again, that gave everyone a bit of a giggle and um, was a nice sort of fun piece for them. So we do see quite a lot of fun strategies as well. Yeah, sounds sounds really good. And how do you how do you do the assessment? How do you do the measurements? How much you you assess what are the... Uh, achieve changes yep so within the toolkit all the assessments are embedded within that so the champion does the bulk of the assessment so if any of your listeners were to go onto the toolkit the first thing that they would be asked to do would be to register their interest in it which is sort of our first data collection point so that we understand um, where people are registering from then to they can see the toolkit, but they can't use it. Um, so to unlock the toolkit, we ask them to do what's called a champion survey, which is less than five minutes. And we collect information on things like what industry they work in, what sector they work in, some of the basic characteristics about their workplace so that we understand, again, who's taking part in the program. So those are two very quick surveys that give us uh, a lot of information in terms of the types of workplaces taking part. We also then ask the champion to do a workplace audit. And this all this is just in the toolkit themselves. So they can they just um, click the button and do the workplace audit. And this is measuring what kinds of policies and practices and cultures they currently have around sitting less and moving more within their workplace. And this once they complete that questionnaire, it generates an automatic report for them that they can then use for planning their action plan. So it's how are they going to help design their changes? So there's a lot of um, 
carrots that are given to the champion to complete their assessments. We also ask the champion to send out the surveys mm. to staff. The and researchers, us as researchers, have no contact with um, the staff at all. And the, if the toolkit's available, we have, um, other than our national implementation trial that we're running, we don't have any contact with the champion either. So this is really designed um, to live very separately from the researchers. So the champion sends out the link to the staff survey and the link is unique for each champion so we understand how each work team is doing, but it is all anonymous. And so the staff survey is about 10 minutes to do and it was really tricky as a researcher to cut down on the number of questions, make them as simple um, but obviously as reliable and valid as possible to get the information that we wanted. So there's a big focus obviously on sitting, standing and moving um, but it's really around the barriers and cultures to that as well as how much they're doing and just a few questions on productivities, um, stress, energy levels, those sort of things as well to understand the potential impact of the program on that. So the champion sends that staff survey out before um, all the staff meet to discuss the strategies and then they send the staff survey link out at the end of the eight-week program. And then we ask the champion again to fill in another survey, which so it sounds like a lot of surveys, but in total it would take the champion less, I'd say less than an hour to complete all the assessments across the whole program. So once they complete the final survey, that gives um, us an idea on uh, the costs of the program and how much time they spent doing the program. The champion gets an automatic generated report that they're able to share with all their staff and their management on the impact of the program. So how effective was it? Um, how much did it cost? What sort of strategies their staff were doing and how much that, how did those strategies change after the program? So they get a huge amount of feedback. So there's a lot of carrots involved in them doing the evaluation. And I think that's really helped um, in the evaluation process because everything we've done is try to make it as scalable as possible. Mm. So you said that you you are they are able to calculate the costs of the of the program or the intervention. Do you try to estimate also the monetary benefits that the companies could actually calculate the return on investment which they usually are very interested of? Yeah, so this is something that we're looking um from the perspective of the national implementation trial because that takes into account more broadly and does obviously a lot more detailed analysis on the findings from their productivity or their and their absenteeism and presenteeism and the effectiveness of the program and how many people took part and then how much it costs for us as a research team to run the program as well as the time and costs that the individual work team does to for for them to run the program within their work team. So they don't get that comprehensive view yet because as an automated report, it's just that's just not feasible. But it's certainly something that we're looking at as part of the national implementation trial. So we'll be able to report on um, the potential benefits and cost benefits of the program. Mm. And and you mentioned the presenteeism and sick leaves. Have you already seen that there's an effect to those? because it, it takes quite a long time probably to see the effects. Have, have you been able to measure those already? No, we, and this is, a, as I said, a very crude measure, and it's also one of our optional measures. So it's just looking at um, how many days they've taken off in the last, um, I can't remember the exact wording, but in the last eight weeks probably. So it, very crude measure, and we've not been able to look at that. And that that very much is a secondary measure of ours, the primary um, things that we are looking at from an effectiveness point of view is their changes in their sitting, standing and moving. But we're much more interested in the reach and uptake of the mm. program. So you are trying to change the culture of the workplace and affect the norms. Do you think these changes will be held after the eight-week period? And have you measured it, how, how well the changes stay? I'll take this one, but I'll also be passing this to Anna a bit. So in a, we've heard a lot of stories about it. So obviously after eight weeks, it's just the start of a culture change. It's really, for most workplaces, it's it's about creating that light bulb moment of, oh, gee, 
how much am I sitting and also reflecting on how easy it is to um, start to make small changes. When I reflect upon our own workplace at the School of Public Health, I've been researching this um, since 2006 and I've been giving seminar series and talks and um, we've brought in uh, sit-stand workstations now, um, but it took a long time for all of those things to become normative in our workplace. So I don't think our workplace would change very much now, but it was, I'd say, at least a 10-year process for it to achieve the culture change that we see now. In saying that, there are many, many fantastic stories from our champions on how things have changed, and we are collecting a lot of qualitative feedback on that. And I'll pass it over to Anna now to expand because she chats to the champions a lot more. Mm. I think Jen's right. I mean, culture change does take a long time. The nice thing that we're seeing, obviously our implementation trial will look into this because we are following up champions and their work teams um, 12 months at the 12-month periods to kind of look at that sustainability at that time and doing some really nice um, rich interviews to get that sort of to really capture, you know, what's happening in the workplace. Um, what we're hearing so far from champions, um, we've seen a pattern actually of those strategies that I talked about at the beginning where teams choose those three top strategies and often they do have sort of a fun one um, and they tend to choose ones that they can get started on straight away. And so when you think about the hierarchy of control, it's often at the bottom of the hierarchy of control. So things that you can get started straight away um, aren't always things like, you know, environmental changes and those things that take a bit longer. What the really nice thing that we're hearing so far anecdotally is that teams are continuing on their be upstanding journey. Those fun sort of ones that sort of initially gave people that light bulb moment or increased their momentum to change, they kind of die off. You can imagine that doing a three o'clock you know, Mexican wave for an entire year isn't something that people want to maintain. Um, what we're seeing is that they might choose one strategy or move on to a strategy that's actually up higher in that hierarchy of control. So they'll do something like uh, remove everyone's waste paper baskets or their bins and have a centralised bin only or they'll have a centralised printer where people have to actually get up and move. So there has been a sort of a design change in their work environment which really just makes it, you know, you don't even have to think now, you just you have to get up and move to get your printing or to throw out your rubbish or whatever it is so that's been nice to see from that perspective and it's something that we've been really pleasantly not surprised but you know very happy to hear um, but again we'll learn more about sustainability as we go along mm. so they are actually making changes in the built environment exactly. and and yeah and how, how do you see now that people are working from home there's different norms in the home or there's less communal norms of the workplace. And for quite many people, it's a change to work five days a week from home. How do you see this affecting the program? I was, we're just meeting with our project managers who talk to all of our champions tomorrow to really delve into that. Were you about to say that, Jen? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we, we, Jen and I literally just had a meeting this morning saying we really need to know exactly what everyone's doing because it has been that. And we have had that initial shock and we haven't wanted to really, I guess, bother our champion so much. I have heard just from our project manager today that she's just now starting to get email responses and people booking in phone calls with her um, because I think everyone sort of does feel, at least in Australia, that things have settled down enough and we can kind of focus on that. So, yeah, very early days and I'd love to tell you more when we find out more. Yeah, and just to expand on that, we'll we're going to conduct a snapshot survey to understand exactly what those changes are because we are living a little bit in the dark about what mm. people are doing. We can talk to our friends and our colleagues about what they're doing and we can reflect on our own behaviour. But in terms of the broader population, we don't really know. It has been such a massive change and it's just an ongoing change all the time. So for those with children, the homeschooling has throw in another um, consideration into the works as well. And 
whether you've lost your job or changed your job hours, for me, talking to, and this is just friends and colleagues, people are either increased their workload, things are a lot busier than they used to be, or they've lost their work. And so things are obviously a lot less busy than they used to be. So there's real differences um, in how people are responding to this time because it's such a time of change. Yeah, and and have you already planned that you are you need to change the program somehow, or do you think you can go with the same concept? It's web based, so can you go forward with the same program, or do you need some changes? Yeah, that is a good question. Initially, um, I probably had more of a freak out than Genevieve did in terms of we have to do a be up standing at home an entire new intervention, um, and then we kind of kind of talked ourselves talked ourselves back from that, um, and really realized that. The toolkit as it is and all of the resources really are appropriate. I mean, it is web-based and we have now um, just in the process of developing specific tips for working at home, how to set up a workstation, for example, at home and how to potentially have a standing, you know, how you could move from a standing to seated position because it really is about changing posture regularly. Um, and then also tips for how to collaborate um, and say, for example, to hold a consultation with your staff, how you would do that remotely, for example. So we're just sort of supplementing the toolkit. We're certainly not changing the intervention. Mm. This podcast is sponsored by Fibian. Fibian is an accurate sitting and physical activity tracking device and analysis platform. It is a great tool for projects that aim for behaviour change in sedentary behaviour and incidental physical activity. Fibian provides easy-to-understand PDF and web browser reports for participants. Other features include comparisons to recommendations, linking results to health risks, achievement cards, and interactive goal-setting tool. In addition, Fibian provides an API that allows for easy integration to other systems and applications. Learn more about Fibian at fibian.com research. Fibian from researchers to researchers. And what what kind of changes you have actually achieved with the program when you have done the eight week eight week intervention and then you have followed up them in for twelve months? What kind of changes you have have seen in different time points? Yeah, we're, it's looking very positive. So as I said, we launched the program in September 2017, but we actually, that was our optimization phase. So we were trialing how the program was working, um, how people were coming in, what was the feedback. So we got feedback for about a year and a half, and then we launched our implementation trial in June of last year. And the reason you can hear a little bit of potentially some is that I'm actually just opening up our report because we've just ran our results because we have a six-weekly partner meeting and we have a partner meeting tomorrow. So I can give you a little bit more insights on what sort of results we are seeing. But over 400 work teams have signed up for the program, and uh, which is over 25,000 staff have been exposed or potentially exposed to the program. So we've seen fantastic uptake. And that's been across all of Australia and across multiple sectors as well. So in terms of the interest in the program, right. it's been Sorry. really high. In terms of the results, we've consistently seen very uh, positive results in terms of the, um, we've seen very positive results in terms of the effectiveness of the program um, on change. So changes um, in the realms of over 40 minutes uh, per a reduction in sitting time per workday, and that's been very consistent or increasing over time as we get more and more numbers into the sample. And for all those secondary outcomes, we also continue to see improvements in all of that. So improvements in their musculoskeletal symptoms, improvements in their energy levels and their stress levels. These are secondary outcomes. They're very much self-report measures, but everything certainly is trending in the right direction. But they are very so how how widely how many people are using this program now and how do you see how much it could be scaled up so in terms of the number of people using the program so we've had um i just i literally have i have 
found it. So I can give you the exact or a bit more closer to the exact number of people that have signed up for the program, so have unlocked that first stage of the program, and that is um, 423 champions have unlocked that first champion toolkit and have um, and have started on the toolkit. So that's since September 2017, which is fantastic, and that does include uh, over 20 international workplaces, and we've done no targeted recruitment internationally at all. We've got, uh, I'm just looking at the numbers here, at least 40 work teams across each of our priority sectors. So our priority sectors that we're looking at are blue-collar workers, call centre workers, uh, regional remote workers, small business and public sector workers. So we've got a real mix and range of people. And as I said, there's over 25,000 staff have been potentially involved or exposed to the program. Uh, in terms of the results, uh, so for, yeah, we're looking at um, at least 45 minutes on average reduction in their sitting time, and this is per eight hours at work. So it's a pretty substantial reduction, and you're looking at confidence confidence intervals between um, one hour to half an hour per day. And these are really consistent findings that just um, keep getting stronger as we get more and more numbers into the program. So it's it's working really well and considering that um, it's a low-cost, no-cost program, workplaces are not required to have desks at all. Some of them do have desks and some of them sign up to the program because they purchase desks and none of their staff were using them, but there is no requirement to have that environmental change at all. Since the program went live, there's been over 25,000 staff that have been potentially exposed to the program. Mm. Yeah, so that's that's very impressive to have 25,000 people. So you actually have an effective program, which is web-based. And I think there's a big need now in the world, as, as a lot of people are working from home and probably struggling with sedentary behavior. How well you could scale this up internationally that, uh, that much more people could use it in this, this difficult situation? I love that yeah, question. So we always have talked about being, you know, going for world domination, haven't we? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's definitely our goal. And certainly we've designed the platform, the web-based platform that underpins the program, you know, is meant to be scalable. There's, We just didn't want to get ahead of ourselves. And certainly in terms of translation of this work into practice it was really happened very very quickly and really because of demand from industry so we sort of jumped I think a couple steps ahead in terms of you know we did have a nice evidence base from randomized control trials and we sort of did our best to adapt the program to make it suitable for dissemination and large-scale um, dissemination but we really need to take these learnings from this implementation trial um, and we're already finding that for example the toolkit isn't particularly well suited it's sort of a generic toolkit that's designed as we've said for a champion to run the program but for example large organizations who have very complex um, organizational structures who might have you know thousands of staff and therefore tens of champions who all want to take part in the program the actual toolkit i mean technically yes those organizations could take part but their experience isn't ideal so there are quite a few things i think that we would like to happen and that we're working towards to i guess upskill the toolkit or to take it to the next level and then from there i think world domination is definitely on our minds yeah, sounds sounds good. The world world <laughs> domination in in a good way. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. So Genevieve, you have been earlier been doing studies looking at heart health and metabolic health, and and as you have been able to make a forty minute decrease in sitting time during the eight hour working time, could you tell us what kind of effects these people can? can expect to see in their health? Yes, I mean, those sort of levels of impact we're starting to see uh, are beneficially associated with those longer-term outcomes in terms of, 
terms of your risk for cardiovascular disease and type 2 diabetes and premature mortality. The messages that we emphasize are obviously more on that prolonged sitting. So it's about regular postural changes. And obviously in, the, in these workplace situations, we don't want, or in any situation, we don't want people standing for too long either. So what we're really pleased about is that we're also seeing those reductions in prolonged sitting time. And like the epidemiological evidence has shown, this should have long-term benefits for their health, particularly if they're also doing their physical activity, of course. And that message comes throughout as well, that sit less, move more. It's never just sit less and you'll be fine. It's sit less, move more and do it throughout the day. Mm. And and the 40 minute is an average of the whole whole workers. Have you seen a big difference? Like, for example, if you have an exercise intervention, you have that the active people will be even more active and it usually doesn't affect the inactive or maybe unfit persons. Have you looked at the data more closely and do you see differences between the people? We haven't looked at that and certainly the evidence would suggest that the benefits would be greatest for those who are inactive to start with. Um, so that is definitely a question that we'll be exploring. We're only capturing physical activity at quite a basic level. As I said, our questionnaire is a very slimmed down version, but we should have enough information to uh, be able to look at the differences between those who meet guidelines, for example, and those that don't and and see what see what the benefits of the program have been from them for them um, for, on multiple levels, not just in terms of the reduction in their sitting time. Yeah, I would just like to emphasize that, that in terms of the data collection, we are very much in the data collection phase of the process. And a lot of that optimization that we did, well, um, between 2017 and between starting the national implementation trial was enhancing those reports that we gave to the champion, enhancing um, how we did the assessment process because that was one of the things that is hard once you go into translation is getting the assessment and getting the evaluation, particularly when you hand over the control of it to someone else that's not the researcher. So we are getting a lot more results now through from our implementation trial, but we're very much in the data collection phase and we're just looking at brief snapshots and overall snapshots. We haven't dived into those questions more deeply yet. Mm, so you are in the data collection phase. How how long is this project going to last? The project um, is currently funded through till uh, mid next year, but with uh, both COVID-19 and in Australia we had a bushfire crisis as well that um, impacted on our workplaces. So we'll highly likely be looking to extend the program and the recruitment period because as Anna flagged, we're also looking at these workplaces one year on. So I would say that our recruitment phase will be lasting for at least another six months for people to come into the trial. I will emphasize though again that that's our implementation trial. For our implementation trial, the champions do the toolkit, but they also get the benefits of a health coach that guides them through the process. But anyone can sign up to the program at any time. Just they don't get that health coaching support if they're not involved in the implementation trial. So anyone can sign up at any time. Hmm. This podcast is sponsored by Fibion. Uh, my name is Dr. Paul Batman, and I'd like to just say a few words about Fibion. Um, I've used it a number of times on different projects that I've been involved in and find that it's incredibly reliable, very valid and incredibly sturdy. I, I love the graphics that come with it. It really is very clear and can easily see the active in and active periods as well. So I'd certainly recommend Fibion to anyone that's interested in finding out more about sedentary behaviour, particularly the concept of sitting and how we can possibly break it up with some really good, valid information. And and do you have already future plans? Yes, yeah, Susanna was flagging. Uh, a big next step for us is to expand the suitability of the toolkit to make it more flexible for the different types of organisations that we're seeing come into the program. It's suited a lot of people and our champions. When things haven't worked quite as well as they um, potentially 
could, they've been very adaptable and from learning from their adaptions, we've been able to modify the toolkit. But a, the big thing is making it suitable for large organisations that have multiple teams and so that the teams understand how how they're going, you know, within the one organisations is as one team doing really well and why why are they doing really well within the one organisation. We the toolkit doesn't really have that capabilities yet. It involves a lot more input by us as researchers. So we can manipulate it, but it's not automatic. And we want to take it through to that more automated stage. Mm. And and do you already plan some future project? And if yes, is there some kind of institute you would like to collaborate? This is maybe a good, good time to ask if you're looking for some <laughs> some parties to collaborate. Yes, well, as we take it into the next stage, um, we've learned a lot of lessons from the implementation trial already. And as we analyze it, we really are looking at how does this um, translate um, to different cultures, to two different working styles? How does it work when we go internationally? So if people are interested in understanding how they could um, potentially adapt the program for their workplace or run the program as it is and see how it works in their context, we'd be really interested in looking at grant applications around that in particular. This would be, you know, as we get the results of the trial, so starting to work towards the end of, end of the year, early next year. But contact us at any time, obviously. Yeah, that's a that's a good thing. So if you if you're interested for collaboration, please be be in contact. So is there anything else you would like to share about about this project in this podcast? Not from me. Not from me. Just thank you for having the opportunity to be able to talk about it. As you could probably tell from our our voices, we're very passionate about be upstanding and the program. <laughs> Yeah, we are. And Be Upstanding, we started off, this whole thing started off with a little tiny bit of money from our Queensland government um, and they had asked for a literature review and some Word document tip sheets and we, Genevieve and I, just kept pressing <laughs> ahead and pressing ahead and, and very, very, very little funding um, and, yeah, we've, we've gotten to the point of having this as, as you can you know, it's an online program that you can see 25,000 staff have been exposed to and we don't have any plans to slow down. We are really passionate about it. So hopefully it will be something that will be going you know, internationally. The more information we get from this implementation trial, the more we can move into a real dissemination phase and, you know, get it out there. Yeah, and it's just, I just flag, it's just been a, a really beautiful example of what true partnerships can achieve. Mm between our policy and practice partners, our stakeholders, uh, the workplaces that have been involved and the researchers. Everyone has really worked in partnership and collaboration together to make this happen. It's true. And it seems to be one of those health behaviours that people like to get behind. I have been involved in numerous you know, translational projects um, to do with different health behaviors but the sit less move more message is just a really happy message and I think staff and champions workplaces really relate to it um, they really I think everyone you know everyone relates to how you feel when you've been sitting down for a long time people like to move more they they inherently know that it's going to make them feel a little bit better and they love the message that you know you don't have to um, stand all day you don't have to do you know move all day it's really about listening to your body and um, changing postures and it's just something that people have really taken to and so it's been nice for us to have sort of a happy intervention or happy program messages that's really contributed to its uptake I think as well yeah so it sounds great that you are passionate about the program and you have really found an effective way to influence people's behavior how How do you see on a larger scale we we start to understand quite well the adverse health effects of sedentary behavior and I think in the beginning it was a belief that it's quite simple to change the behavior in a way that just stand up every half an hour but it, it's probably not as simple and now it seems that different interventions start to find the way to actually make changes and make them permanent. So how do you see on a larger scale, where are we in the sedentary 
behavior science and and implementation? I think that where we, as I said, like this is unusual in terms of how quickly I think the field has progressed, wouldn't you say, Jen, in terms of you know, discovering, you know, the work that you did around discovering, you know, that prolonged sitting had detrimental health impacts to now having policy and practice partners wanting an intervention out there for all of Australia. Um, it's it's happened quite quickly. So uh, thank you for Genevieve and Anna. It, it was great to have the discussions with you. We had a little bit of technical problems, so we didn't hear each other so we were a little bit talking on the same time and maybe i made questions without hearing fully your comments but it was a real pleasure to talk with you and thank you for taking the time for this podcast thanks so much ollie it's a pleasure thanks for joining us this week on physical activity researcher podcast if you like the show make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on twitter This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts or whichever app you use. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes. So be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day. This podcast is sponsored by Fibian. Get scientific validation and learn more about Fibian at fibian.com slash research. The Physical Activity Researcher podcast has created an activity tracker purchase guide for researchers. Get your free copy from the link in the podcast description. Thank you for listening to the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast.